Well, good morning, Oak Hills. Um, I have preached here many times. You're one of my favorite churches in the world. I have a great affection for you for several reasons. Uh, one, I was uh, one of Max's roommates in college, so I go back a long, long way with Max, and uh, I love you for that. But most of all, I love you because you're the church that raised my wife. Jamie grew up here. We were married in San Antonio. This past year, her mother passed away, so now she's lost both of her parents. James and Bobby Lida were members at Oak Hills, I guess probably for over 30 years. And I just want to say on behalf of the whole family, you loved them really, really well. And I'll always love you because of the way that you loved my wife's family. And besides that, I'm glad to be here because who doesn't want to come to San Antonio in the winter and get some warm weather? So it's a real thrill, and I'm thankful. Now, a lot of you are guests, and you're disappointed because you got to visit Oak Hills, and you wanted to hear Randy Frazee or Max Licato. I understand that. I'm disappointed. I feel like the uh, chauffeur that took this noted chemist all over the country to do a lecture, and he did it so many times, he said one night, Professor, I think I could give that lecture for you. And the professor said, no, you couldn't. He said, I bet $100 I could. So they stopped the limo. They got out and changed clothes. The professor put on the chauffeur's clothes, got in the front of the car, and the chauffeur put on the professor's clothes, got in the back. They went to the dinner, and he got up, he gave that speech verbatim, got a standing ovation. What he wasn't counting on was the MC saying, we have some time left. Would anyone like to ask the professor a question? <laughs> and so he got a question he couldn't even pronounce, and he took a couple of sips of water, and then he said, that's the silliest question I've ever heard. That question is an insult to my intelligence. In fact, the answer to that question is so obvious, I'm going to ask my chauffeur to come up here and answer it. And so you might wonder why I'm up here and not someone else, but I'm all you got today, so I hope it will be a blessing. Now, last year I did a series at my church on Romans chapter 8, my favorite chapter in the Bible. I called eight sermons on Romans 8 and called it Greatness. And it's, uh, I think, the greatest chapter in the Bible because every great theme in the Bible is in Romans 8, starting with the possibility of condemnation, ending with glorification. You have the frustration of the world. You have the groaning. You have the Holy Spirit. You've got prayer. You've got resurrection. It's all there in Romans chapter 8. So that's where we're going to get in just a moment. But before we do, I am a big fan of the NFL. Do we have any Cowboy fans in the house? Hold up your hands. All right. If you did not hold up your hand, we offer prayer at the end of this service. Do we have any Jerry Jones fans in the house? If you held up your hand, we offer prayer at the end of this service. So, last year, I read a true story about a man that died a couple of years ago in Mansfield, Ohio. He was a lifelong fan of the Cleveland Browns. Now, if you know your football, you know that the Cleveland Browns have never been to the Super Bowl. I think in the last 25 years, they've only made the playoffs twice. They didn't make it this year. So he made as a final request the ask that six members of the Cleveland Browns football team would be the pallbearers at his funeral. So that, as he wrote, they could let me down one last time. <laughs> now, 
As we approach a new year, are you approaching 2015 with excitement and anticipation or with trepidation and dread? Because you know you're just going to be let down again. I've pastored a long time, and I meet people who seem to me to just be surviving life, living like victims as they deal with some really hard things. But I also know people who are also dealing with really hard things, and they're not just surviving, but they are thriving. They're not living like victims. They're living like victors. And what's the difference? Why do some people live above what seems to pull other people under? What's the key to their confidence? We're about to find out. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus has died. More than that, who has raised life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Now, Paul has just said, we have no condemnation standing with Christ. We've received the Holy Spirit and we're sons of God. And even though there's a lot of groaning in this world, we have this sure hope we have the Holy Spirit praying our prayers to God for us. We have a God who's working everything out according to his will for our good. And he says, what shall we say in response to this? It's almost like I can't find the words. But words need to be found. And Paul found some. If God is for us, who can be against us? These are the words that are planted deep into the heart of the conquering life. It is the gospel in just four words. God is for us. I want everyone to say that with me. You ready? God is for us. These are the words that reign over anything trying to pull you under. God. The Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who speaks and nothing turns into something. God is, not was, not maybe, not now and then, right now, in this very moment, God is for. Not neutral, not making up his mind, not sitting up in the stand saying, show me something so I can decide if I'm going to be on your team or not. No, God is for some of us, the best of us. God is for all of us us. And Paul is absolutely certain about this. Now, does this mean that we will never experience any opposition? 
When he says, who can be against us? No, look at what he says, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So he's not saying in 2015 that nothing's going to come against you. He's saying even though opposition will be present, it will be impotent to keep you from living the abundant life Jesus promised and stepping into everything God has destined for you in Christ. Egypt was the strongest nation on earth, but God wasn't for Egypt. He was for the Hebrew slaves. And so they left Egypt and walked right through a sea. The Philistines had far superior military technology, but God wasn't for the Philistines. He was for the Israelites. And if God is for you, then Pharaoh and Goliath don't have a chance. He says, we are more than conquerors. The word conqueror is literally the Greek word Nike. He says, we're not just Nikes, we're super Nikes. We are Air Jordans. I mean, we are the best Nike there is. Because God is for us. Now, are you living with that kind? Of confidence. You can. For two reasons that will not change no matter what happens next year. Here's number one. God gave Jesus up for us. Now the Bible mentions a number of people responsible for giving Jesus up. Pilate did. Judas did. Herod did. The Jews did. Our sins did. Even Jesus said, no one takes my life. I give it of my own accord. But ultimately... God delivered our deliverer. Now, I'm going to reread a sentence, a sentence you've heard many times. I want you to listen this time like it was the first time. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up. For us all. It just takes a few seconds to read it. Eternity is not long enough to fathom it. Now, I don't like worship wars. People like to argue about whether old songs or new songs are better. I like good songs. I like songs that have theological depth. A song is not a good song just because it's old. I'm sorry, but do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me, oh Lordy, is not a Christian classic. And some of the new songs are just as theologically shallow. But every now and then someone writes a song that is so gospeled that generations just continue to sing it. And you just did. 
And when I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. It's like Paul. How, how do you put this into words? That on the cross, my burden, gladly buried. He bled and died to take away my sin. And if God would do that for us, Paul says, will he not also graciously give us all things? Now, that doesn't mean if you ask for it next year, you're going to get a Cadillac. What that means is that anything you need to live the victorious, abundant life God wants for you, he's going to give you. Do you need more hope or more courage? Do you need more wisdom or more faith? What do you need if he would not keep Jesus but gave him for us. Will he not graciously give us all things? So you don't need to convince God next year to be for you. He's already shown you he is. Romans 5 says, He showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So right here's where you need to meet and conquer that spirit of condemnation. God didn't declare you righteous because of what you've done. He's not going to declare you righteous or unrighteous because of what you do. God has ruled. There's no higher court. And the judge is for us. Who will bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? And when God justifies, you can be confident you are going to stay justified. We're uncondemnable because to condemn, God would have to undo what he sent Jesus to do for us. Is God going to forget about the cross next year? Is he going to overlook the resurrection? God did this for you. Now, are you going to mess up next year? You know you are. I am too. But you don't have to wonder if God has your back because God put your condemnation on Jesus' back because God is for you. Jesus was given up for us. He was lifted up on a cross for us. He was raised up from the dead for us. And Paul says, Christ who died more than that, who's raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. That's something else that's going to be true every day next year. Jesus speaks up for us. He didn't go to heaven to retire. He went to heaven to represent us. Us, the only one who has the right to condemn, is instead our defense attorney. The Hebrew writer says in chapter 9, he entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. And he's never lost a case. So one of my favorite stories is about a young man named Steve Winger, a senior at Texas Tech University. His last semester... 
he takes a course in logic that was notorious for being difficult and having a really hard final. A week before the final, the teacher says, to help you with my final, you can bring anything you can put on one sheet of paper. And so they got their sheet of paper. They wrote all they could, wrote as small as they could, crammed as much on there as they could. They came in for the day of the final. Everyone pulled out their sheet of paper and in walked one student with a blank sheet of paper. Put it down on the floor next to the desk. In walks a graduate student in the field of logic and stood on the sheet of paper. And he was the only one who got an A on the final. Because someone had the answer and knew what to say. And you've got someone who knows what to say. To speak for you to God. Jesus lives to guard what he died to grant. He's always reminding the Father of the righteousness he gave for us and so the reporter was asking this very successful businessman how he came by his success the man said when I married all I had was a roof over my head a can of beans in the pantry and a nickel I took that nickel and I bought an apple and I polished it up and I sold it for a dime I took that dime and I bought two apples polished them up Sold them for 20 cents. And the reporter thinks, what a great human interest story. What happened next, sir? He said, well, then my father-in-law died and left me $20 million. And I am confident next year, not because I got it all together, not because I'm going to be so polished and impressive. I got friends in high places. God is for me. The price he gave for me, the intercession Jesus right now is giving for me, tells me I don't have to fear anything. No circumstance can shake up our confidence. God doesn't make empty promises. Jesus doesn't change his mind. The Holy Spirit isn't fickle. All of heaven is for us. And so when life comes against us, and it will, And you already know of some hard things coming next year. And there are some things coming next year that will be hard you don't know about yet. But that circumstance does not have to diminish your confidence. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors. I think that's the best snow in the Bible. Now, typically I like the word yes better. Jesus is our yes, Paul says. But sometimes no is a good word. When you have a biopsy and you call the doctor, is there any cancer? And he says, no, that's a good no. If your kids are on a field trip and there's an accident, was anyone hurt? No, that's a good no. And the best no in the world is can anything, can any circumstance, can any situation next year separate you from God's love? 
defeat God's purpose for you, keep you from the destiny God has predetermined and destined you for? Can anything do that? The answer is no. God would not say no to sacrificing his son. Jesus did not say no to going to the cross. So we can say no to anything Satan tries to do next year to discourage and defeat us and make us act like victims. We can do that because God is for us. There's nothing in the universe we need to fear because nothing can affect us in anything but a temporary way. What if we enter 2015 believing that? 2009, the Kentucky Derby had a surprise winner. A horse named Mind That Bird, a 50-to-1 long shot, had not had a good season. The race started the quarter mile. That horse was so far back, the TV announcer didn't even mention his name. At the 3-8th mile post, something happened, and that horse found a gear no one knew it had. It started passing horse after horse along the rail. It wound up winning the most famous horse race in the world by almost seven lengths. Nobody made any money because nobody bet on the horse. Even the horse's owner said that wasn't on our radar. The best explanation was the jockey who said, I rode him like a good horse. Would it make a difference if we entered the new year believing we win? In Jesus Christ, we conquer. John says, I write these things to you that believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have. There are a lot of questions about theology I can't answer. I don't like to argue about things on the periphery, but here's what I do know, and I can answer the most important question of all. No matter what happens in 2015, I'm sure some will be great and some will be tough, but no matter what happens, will I remain God's son? Will I remain in his love? Will his Holy Spirit fill me, direct me, and pray for me? Will I become everything God has destined for me in Christ? Will I conquer the grave? Is there a place reserved for me at God's table? And will I live with Jesus forever? And the answer is yes, because God is for me. Come on, church. Somebody ought to respond to that. What do we say in response to these things? We're under no condemnation. We're the children of God, led by the Holy Spirit. we got Jesus and the Holy Spirit interceding for us. God's working everything out for our eternal good. Our bodies are going to be raised and glorified, and we're going to be with God forever. What shall we say in response to all these things? We should say now what we will say then and what we will say forever. How great thou How great thou art. And we should say it with confidence. So let me pray over you. 
So, Father, I don't, I don't know what everyone's going through. I, I bet some people right now are in a sweet season and life is good. And I'm so thankful, God. I rejoice with them. And I hope they will take their blessings and use it to bless somebody else. But I know, God, just based on the people I've talked to all morning, some people are in a tough place right now. And they're entering a hard season. And the accuser comes and he wants to attack our confidence and attack our assurance. And we speak against his lies and his deception. And we refuse, Father, to believe that you would ever abandon us, that you are for us, that you are going to graciously give us everything we need to live a conquering life. Father, we claim that in Jesus Christ. And we pray that in this coming year, we can live as a witness to the abundant life and step in courage and confidence for Jesus' sake.